Hi there, my name is Wendy and welcome to the 20s Convos podcast with Wole and Toby. On this podcast, Wole and Toby have conversations about life, society, culture, childhood, relationships, the world, and everything in between. The 20s Convos podcast is all about sharing stories, journaling life, and building a community across the world. Enjoy the episode. Uh, <laughs> um, it's interesting because, um, so the topic, yeah, it's, how did, how did we come up, how did you come up with it? I'm trying to think. I think, I think uh, we first had an episode two mm-hmm. seasons ago where, where we where we spoke about Gen Z and millennials and looking at differences um, between those two generational gaps. But then again, you know, I'm 27, born in 93, which is two, three years before Gen Z officially kicked in. So when we're not pretty much the most distinct millennials as you might have from the guys born in 1989, right? Mm-hmm. So we still had a lot of com- um, com- similarities with the Gen Zs in some areas. Some things were different, obviously. Um, some things were similar. So during the episode, I think we covered some things about you know, um, Gen Z and millennials as well, but having to live in a life, an environment that is different compared to what it was 20 years ago. You know, the fact that in just about 20 years, we've had like two major recessions, job markets are looking harder, um, so much going on. And it's like, life is tough, right? And we see everyone breaking down because not just by everyone saying, oh, I'm stressed, but actually also by actual data, you know, data that reveals how depression and mental health is risen. And people often say, well, that's not the case. People are just more comfortable talking about it now. And the argument why that is not true is that self-harm due to depression and anxiety has risen in hospitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hospital records are objective, so they'll tell you the true story, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just about people being, being comfortable. It's actually a thing that people have actually gotten more effed up. So we just started thinking, like, why? Like, why is that the case? And obviously, like, there's going to be a broad generalization because we're speaking about a huge generation. Mm-hmm. But even bringing that to our own worlds, right? Me, you, and Toby's world. Like, why is that the case? Are we just in tougher times, as I said, or are we just fragile compared to people who were born 40, 50 years ago? Mm-hmm. And it's a value argument because people in those age brackets I just mentioned have labeled people like us in those ways, you know, um, you know, that we're fragile, we're too soft, too lazy, etc. Now, some, some people are too soft and too lazy and too fragile. That is a fact. But also one cannot dismiss the extent to which life we're living in now is different. Right. But then again, it's the only life we know. Mm. So it's a big, complex tension channel understand and i thought i approached this starting from our own um upbringing because you know um i mean okay compared to toby and i you were you were raised in panama i think right i remember that good gotcha good one Wally. i remember that you're raised in panama so south america we're raised in west africa um different contexts right but i want i want to talk about upbringing in the sense of you know think about how were we exposed to life early so when i say that what i mean by that is for example for me one measure i always i always say is well when was the first time i was let out to go alone mm. like like when was, the, when was the first time i was let out to go out alone without my parents following me around 
when was the first time I got hurt through my own interactions with people and I did not have to come back home and say, oh, mom, dad, I'm hurt. Mm. Like, that was the first time I dealt with all those things. And for me, I think the first time I, I, I probably went out without my parents following me or anything was probably when I was eight or nine. And the factor there is because I lived in a decent, good estate, right? Yeah. So I'm lucky enough to live in a decent, decent good estate, a neighborhood um, in Ibadan, which is where I grew up. So obviously, I've I've had independence early, right? Which actually say it's a cool thing, but also my background has also helped me that with that. Now I've started this chat in a very very deep deep way, but I don't want that to be the vibe too much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so like, let's just like compare to um, myself as I've told you, like how was like growing up in Panama, and when when do you think when was the point you thought like you you got independent from you know, having to be, having to be around your parents every time as a kid. I think it's interesting because I, I grew, I mean, I say I grew up in Panama, but truly I grew up in the US and in Mexico and in Panama. So I moved around quite a lot. Mm. Um, I would say the first time I truly experienced independence uh, was at the age of 15. And not because I didn't want to be independent because I'm an only child and I have been raised to be very, very much independent. Um, But I didn't experience true freedom to go out to the supermarket to, you know, um, do whatever I wanted to do until I came to the UK for boarding school because Mm -hmm. I actually had that physical separation to my parents. Um, and I think the primary reason for that is because when you're, when I was in Panama, especially like in my early teenage years, in that age range from the eight to about 14, when you start wanting to get those freedoms and independence um, kind of vibes, I used to live in a closed compound. So I could do whatever I wanted within that compound. So to me, that's not really freedom because you're still in a close compound yeah do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and then the other thing is for example let's say i wanted to go to the supermarket or i wanted to go to the mall or the the cinema or to a friend's house you have to drive in panama and i couldn't Mm. drive Mm. and um getting an uber i don't think uber was a thing or like getting a cab at that age was a very big no uh, especially as a female especially in central america (laughs) so that's probably I know that was a very long response, but I'm pretty sure I think the first time I experienced like all freedoms, like everything to do whatever I wanted was when I came to the UK. And I think that was the age of 15. Yeah. So yeah, a lot later. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think, I think one thing you mentioned there about, about the compound just made me remember my urban as well. So let me know if you remember this because I know, um, because where where we lived, I know we had the compound as well. Most, most houses in Nigeria have compounds, right? Yeah. yeah, some kind of compound. So so actually, that's one similarity to be found there. And I remember days where, you know, like, I want to go to my friend's house in, in the same estates. And sometimes, like, you want to sneak out of your house and then you you open the gate very, very slowly so that it doesn't creak and so that your dad doesn't hear inside. <laughs> um, but, but, but I think the, the interesting thing for me there was, like, knowing that I could take that risk and be willing and be willing to get caught but again i, I trust the fact that where we grew up afforded me that chance yeah. right now toby on that on that front of growing up because i think that growing up 
thing it's a very key point because let's just spoke, spoke about you know how you know she didn't feel down to 15 yeah and again there's so many factors in there in terms of obviously she being a woman south america panama yeah. but parents as well yeah right yeah and i know i know you mentioned at one point that you know your mom was much more a open. leeway yeah open so, yeah open yeah. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a good place to start from. Because one thing I was going to mention when you said factors is also the fact that I think your social standing in terms of your economic class also has a part to play in that. Because in Nigeria, people that grow up in sort of like the middle to bottom class, they get very independent very quickly, right? You see four-year-olds, five-year-olds already on the streets, like either going to do this or fetching water or doing stuff like that. So I feel they get independence or, you know, that class of people gets independence quite early. And that sort of like filters into my story because um, for my first, say, five to six years um, growing up, um, I lived in a slightly affluent neighborhood and in a slightly affluent kind of way. Like a typical Nigerian would call me tush in that sense. Um, but then, you know, my dad passed away and a couple of things changed. And I got to, like, we didn't, not like we fell down the economic ladder in that sense, but things just changed a bit. Um, and then I got to be completely raised by my mom. And she sort of like had the experience of growing up in sort of like in those very individualistic and, you know, go out and do your own thing kind of environment. And I think that transitioned into how she raised me. And so, although we lived in a street of like very, you know, enclosed houses, everybody plays in their compound. I was the kid that could go anywhere. So like when a new, when a new <clears throat> family moves into the neighborhood, I'm hovering around trying to see if they have kids. Right. And then, you know, if I find out they have kids, I just hover <laughs> around and, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and adults walk out. Sounds, and, that sounds a lot worse than it, than it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, context, for context, I was like seven or eight. So for everyone who's listening, I was seven or eight. I was also a kid. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, they'll, they'll see a, a kid playing outside. You know, I was usually with my bike and, you know, they would invite me in and things like that. So I think just the just short point I'm trying to make is that I think your economic class also affects, I guess, how early you experience some level of independence in that sense. Um, and I think as I, since I started doing that, maybe from eight or nine years old, um, as I grew older, that just became, you know, it just continued to expand. When I got into ISI, Wale, I think from GS2, I told my mom I wanted to come home on my own, which for the typical person that grew up how I grew up, that's a bit wild, you understand? But, you know, I felt I could because I was also in a school where there was sort of like that mixture of different classes of people. And I saw my mates doing it and I just felt that, okay, I could take that risk as well. Uh, but also, I think if I was in Lagos, it might have been very different because it was also a different vibe. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where the environment is pretty important when when or is a big factor when I guess you're talking about independence and how quick people grow up. Yeah, and and I'm glad you mentioned Lagos because Lagos is a different ball game from Ibadan where, where we grew up. Yeah. And I'm guessing you know in in every country you find cities that are a lot more you know metropolitan and wild than you have in suburban areas if you want to call about on that. Yeah. So I think this let's start with the fragility aspect of it, right? Before mm -hmm. moving to tougher times. Now, I have an issue with certain things I see on a daily basis, mm. right? Which Toby probably has an idea of. Um, and I think maybe because I have a mantra of, you know, life is about suffering, essentially, right? And it doesn't end until it ends. Now, that might be a mantra that is in my head because of my life experience. That might be a mantra that is in my head because I, because I just read some fancy book and I just loved it. Who knows, right? But I just think that 
the idea of some of us being fragile is very real because I hear and I see so many things. Obviously, social media is a good source of information, but even my physical environment as well. See so many, see so many things you're like, it's not that deep, right? Now, people always want issues like, you know, oh, well, I want to feel safe somewhere. And there's issues of, you know, um, my ideas or my arguments matter more than yours. There's, there's issues of, you know, um, where and how an argument happens, right? If I feel bad, I feel offended, that takes triumph over the intentions or every other thing that comes before that feeling. And that's no life, in my opinion, right? And I'll give some examples later, but let's see, like on that front, like when, if someone calls you fragile, for example, right? Would you, would you agree with that? And would you back it up in an experience or you would say like, hell no? <laughs> uh, for those who know me, yeah, I would be like, nah. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, I but I think that's a personality trait mm. of personally. Um I feel like how you interpret your personality is what's gonna determine whether or not you perceive yourself to be fragile. And mm. fragile, you know, is so subjective. Like, what do you mean by fragile? Like, are you, you know, fragile physically, are you fragile mentally, are you fragile emotionally? There's emotionally, so emotionally. Emotionally. Yeah. So, no, I wouldn't say I'm personally fragile. Um, more so because I just feel like the personality that I have is very outgoing. It's mm. very confident. So I think confidence is a very important topic to consider when looking at fragility, uh, especially when you bring in social media. Social media is huge in influencing, especially younger teenagers' mm. confidence and belief in, in oneself. Mm. And I think the less confidence you have in yourself, the more fragile you're gonna perceive you emotionally to be. Mm. And I grew up in an age where social media was just beginning. So I don't think I was fully immersed in that world until obviously when the boom happened around, you know, when I was kind of already like in my late teens. So I feel like I already had that built, like that foundation of confidence built before being then exposed to all of that bubble of, I need to be um, showered with affection yeah. or, you know, I'm comparing myself to everyone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think mm. I would say no. I don't, I don't think me personally, I am fragile. Um, I think something else that contributes to that is the fact that I have moved a lot. Uh, which means that, you know, I've had to start over multiple times. Yeah, I've had to make friends multiple times. I've had to say goodbye to a lot of people um, a lot. And so I think that builds character. And and that's why that's why I don't think I am fragile, because I've I've been through those experiences that have built me up today. Yeah. yeah. So that. Yeah. Do you know what's funny? Honestly. Wait, well, it's chill. So, yeah, so there we go. you know, when when you said Letty that those experiences, like moving a lot, builds you up. You know, another person in that same situation could identify moving a lot as why they are not 
you know, I guess strong in certain places. I don't know if you get what I mean, right? This is a typical scenario where I can already imagine a tweet on social media where someone is saying, you know, I moved around a lot as a kid. I had to say goodbye and hello so many times. And so now as an adult, I don't feel like making connections because, you know, X, Y, Z, ABC, right? So it's quite interesting. I think it still boils back to the points that I think being raised in a different kind of generation, the same sort of like, the same factors or the same external influences could happen, but how it's interpreted seems to be different based on, I guess, the, the person in, involved or the generation where the person is from. But Wale, you were going to say something. I was just going to say that, you know, what Wale said about, you know, um, obviously confidence is key. I'll, I'll come back to that on social media and girls as well. But the idea of moving up and down like different countries, that is, that is, that is so profound. So, First, 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 first reason why that's profound is um, I read a book that said, you know, that the more countries you live in, so the more time you spend in a different place com- compared to where you're born, gives you a clearer sense of self, hmm. right? And and actually, I think that is that that probably contributes to confidence as well because you're you're able to expose yourself to different people and different ways of thinking, and and that and in that fundamental sense. Your mind is not locked to a particular bubble for a long time, right? So there is no way that 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 you live in three countries. I mean, okay, I, I can't say there's no way because it's possible some people, for some people still. But it, it's 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 always a big deal when you're somebody who exposes yourself to different cultures, different ideas, and different ways of doing things. That always contributes positively. There's, it is it is rare that 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 has a negative connotation only if you want to think and feel in that zone right because like you said to be someone else can can could have said what it is said and said well that's why i'm failing that's why i'm not doing too well mm-hmm. right and it's a very and it's a very key point but also the issue of confidence that you raise is also very important because when we look at the data right about you know i, I mentioned about anxiety and depression earlier the data suggests that that those two phenomenons, right, compared to other deeper issues, are most are more common among girls, right? Mm. And and that's simply because of the confidence thing, right? Social media and comparison, and it's more common among girls than boys, right? Um, the reasons why there's reasons why, but I've not read that far. Mm. And what we know is that since 2013, in particular, there's been a mad spike in the rate of depression and anxiety amongst girls, right? Mad, mad spike. And because of that, there's also been a mad spike in self-harm inflicted based on those things, right? And the, the issue comes back to the fact that confidence plays a key role because social media gives, by default, ideas of self-comparison, right? You compare everything to everyone. And as a young girl who is 13, who is 14, going through puberty, your mind already does that by default in, in your schools, right? In your school of 40 people in your class, 100 in your block, 200 in your school. But on social media, you're exposed to 2 million people in a year, right? One can argue that's the number in a year. That is not healthy for any human being's brain, right? And probably the reason why it's different for girls and boys is because probably, I, I don't have the hypothesis properly, but um, I think it links to the fact that Men and women are, are, have aggression levels, aggression levels to the same way, in the same way, same level. But how we manifest aggression is different. Men, men tend to be aggressive in a physical way, 
while women tend to be aggressive socially, mm. right? So by you know, um, by by making someone's social ranking lower, so like not in a physical way, but more verbal and and non 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 physical aggression aggression. But anyway, my point is the aggression levels are the same, so it's not as if one gender is more aggressive than the other. Okay, so back to my point. Um, so because of that as well, right? That also means that you know, as a woman, as a young girl growing up. You're also facing more aggression online by default, right? And it's affecting you more because that is that that is just the way it is, right? And if you're 13, 14 in that environment, that is tough, right? That sets you up for a life of nothing is ever enough or nothing about me is good, right? And that is why I, I keep saying, and people think I'm crazy. I say social media should not be legal for people under 18. <laughs> right because because it is a drug it's a drug just like alcohol just like weed just like any other drug that releases certain hormones in your body that if too much can damage you mm. and it's no different though like it's no different i mean idea of the idea of okay how can we um make it illegal that might be a hard to practice right but I think it is ridiculous how much I see that. Because again, like I told you, like I work, I work with kids on Sundays as well during during normal times. So, so I know I know there's about two two girls that I work that, that I teach on Sundays who are early teens, right? And I I can see these things as well. Like so, I'm not I'm not I can see it in real life too, mm. right? Okay, I've gone on a tangent. <laughs> Let's go back to the idea of being fragile. Yeah. What role do your parents play in this? Because there's also a parent calling effect that I think a lot of parents have, have particularly parents who were born in the 80s, have had right now. I'm sure Leto would have seen this somewhere. I'm sure they would have seen this in places where, you know, there's parents who, who want to be at every stage of their kids' lives. And when, and when the kids messes up in school, messes up in a, in a job application, messes up somewhere, Instead of them asking the kid or oh, what's up, they call the they call the job people or the teachers or whatever. Yeah. So there's a parent calling effect, which which just come into place as well, right? So let's like with your own parents, like what do you think they stand on that spectrum of cuddling to to um to being very very free? Um. I think my parents stand on the other side of the spectrum. Like they're so far away from cuddling. <laughs> like it's just like that. I did not get that, which is quite surprising because I'm an only child. Um, mm. So don't get me wrong. Like I have always been spoiled with attention. Like if I was ever feeling down, like I know that I, I had that confidence that I could go and speak to my parents about anything and that they would listen to me. They wouldn't judge me. They'd give me advice but they would never fight my battles for me. And that's something that I, I appreciate so much. Uh, and that's something that they've always done. Um, whether that was school, whether that, like you said, job applications, university applications, whatever it was, I was very much independent and they guided me, which was great, um, but they would never ever fight a battle for me. Um, even if I asked, I was like, can you call and be like, no you are calling because um, those who know me know that I hate speaking on the phone. Mm. Uh, I really don't like, I don't know why it's like even calling a pizza is like, Oh my God, 
the app for me is just it's great that I can just order it because I don't have to talk to anybody mm-hmm. um but my parents made sure that I knew how to sp- like spoke like speak on the phone and things like that so yeah they were definitely not cuddling at all uh, which I do think helped um again comes back to that building of character a building of tenacity and perseverance is like if they're not going to do it for you and you want something you're going to have to go after it so yeah, yeah. Yeah. But do we think, do we think like, you know, parents that cuddle their children, is it some sort of, you know, response to how they were raised and what they felt was lacking? Because I feel like if you, if you lack something growing up and you get the power to make it available, there's a tendency to overcompensate for that. Right. So if you grew up in a house where every little thing, you know, you didn't feel loved and you didn't feel, you know, X, Y, Z, then when you have your own kids, that's sort of like your one North star. You're like, okay, I don't want my kids to ever feel this way. And so that can, you know, lead to that situation of where you're over cuddling. But I, I, I don't know, like, what, what do you think? Cause for me as well, I think definitely parents have a big part to play in that. If you're raised as a child and you're raised to be quite independent and, you know, raised to be someone that knows how to process their emotions and, you know, use their words and stuff like that, you're, you, you turn out as a better adult in more, like more often than not. Right. But if you're raised in an environment where you're always sheltered in that sense um, and you don't have to face certain challenges, you know, at some point your parents won't be there to, to do that for you. And I, I can remember so many times in uni or just even, going through life you see certain people and you're like okay i know you're old i know you're this age and i know you know this is the thing that comes with this kind of age but something seems to be missing you know in how you're approaching the situation right um and it's quite interesting for me to see so far Mm -hmm. because particularly because i look young as well so it's like people then always downplay my age as well and so when i'm still like spotting all these like interesting traits in people (laughs) you know it's like they're looking at me and want like they feel because they're older they look older that you know they have everything in control but then i'm looking at them and i'm like no something is not right here but you know i won't be the one to maybe tell it to you but something definitely isn't right you know like one thing that i i see as well um is that i think anyway i think there's a, there's a point we got to not we because i'm because i'm not among them i'm not a parent yet <laughs> but the, the point they got to those parents where they began to see the world as much more scary than the world actually is, mm-hmm. right? If you've noticed, I, I think even for, even footballers say this as well. They always say that we don't see kids playing football on, on the roads anymore. I, I, when I say road, I don't just mean like the streets where cars ride by. I mean like the parts of grass, you know, the playground. The You don't see kids playing like on their own anymore. You know, playgrounds are going much more from metal to plastic. Right, the the heights of of slides are going down, down every year, because there's just this there's just this idea that everything is just unsafe. It's a scary world out there, mm. right? And in the if you think about it, in the last twenty years, there's actually been less danger that we've had <laughs> before the last forty years, right? Mm. I mean. This is just by numbers, you know, terrorism attacks, um, you know, there's just been, there's been lots, like even like kidnappings, those things are going down, mm. right? But there's still that idea that it's just unsafe out there, right? I saw this study a while back that said, um, British, British kids, British toddlers spend more time indoors than prisoners. <laughs> Yo, that thing blew my mind. Oh my gosh. 
that thing blew my That's mind. Like, quite interesting. That is crazy. Yeah. That is that is crazy. Like yeah. kids, kids should be outside playing. Play, play is play has been scientifically proven facts. Not facts, sorry. <laughs> Scientific proven scenario that helps kids grow and learn. Hmm. Kids learn, okay, what is it that can make somebody angry? Kids learn what does anger mean to me? Kids learn how do I um manipulate and process my anger. Kids learn if I get hurt this way, what happens to me? Hmm. That's why that is what all those things do. Hmm. Right? A child, a child cannot learn to be a human being from the house. It is if 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 you're wondering, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, well, if you go ask, if you go look at records of people who tend to be, you know, psychological, psychologically deficient in some form of, you know, dangerous way later on, like when they're when they're adults, they had issues with social life growing up. All of them, in one way or the other, right? Yeah. So you asked me the question about why do I think I I I think it's just a it's just an idea from parents in the last 40 years that the world is getting more dangerous. Mm. Right. Mm. Again, I'm not saying that if that if you live in London, should let your seven year old go go party. Definitely not. Mm. But you can you can still see that even the spaces that kids are meant to play in, <laughs> there is it, it is becoming a lot more, you know, like like a bubble bubble wrapped place. Yeah. Right. Mm. And That's- it's just it's just like what is going on. All right. Let's see. Um. Um. I want to get a bit personal now. Um. So still on the idea of fragility, um, when was the last time you remember, you know, feeling like, you know, you've been, you've been hurt and offended. And I don't mean that in a form of, you know, hurt by, by somebody close to you, not particularly in that sense, Mm. but hurt by your navigation of society. So maybe either in a natural formal setting in school or somebody you met somewhere who you just met for the first time or just something relating to a non-close um relationship person like when was the last time you felt like you've been hurt or felt offended by something and what happened that's a very tough i'll be honest with you that's a very tough question because i don't tend to get offended very easily Mm. um Maybe I wasn't the right person for this topic. (laughs) Um, um, It's hard because I do take everything with a pinch of salt. Um, Mm. I'm very much of the opinion that everyone has and is entitled to their own opinion. Like I might disagree with you, but I won't let that then go and bother me for the rest of the day. You know what I mean? Like I don't hold grudges. Like I don't hold on to to these kinds of things. But I think the last time. I, I feel like offended is not the right word. I felt frustrated. I think that's a that's a better way to describe it. Is uh, when uni started uh, last year, so a very long time. <laughs> um, and it was regarding the topic of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, more so because I just have very strong opinions about it, about everything that's going on. Um, and I guess sometimes it surprises me how people can't see the data Mm. and that's not just my friends i think this that's just people in general uh claims are being made or policies are being made without like really understanding what is going on and i think Mm. that was the last time i was i felt really frustrated with Mm. the situation Mm. um so yeah i think that would be my experience Mm. like why do you think you know do you think it's just like 
the way you grew up? Like, what is it about you that makes you think you can, you're able to see beyond the hype, see beyond the, the, the easy, you know, ways to get um, ticked off by things? Like, because what you just, what you described, it's not a, an everyday thing for everyone, right? Even though it seems normal to you, as you've been able to not get, you've been able to see everyone's opinions as their opinions. It's not, it's not the same easy streak everyone can, you know, practice. So like, what is it about you that you think gives you that ability? Like, I, I don't want to say self-awareness because that tends to be too yeah. overused and abstract, but what is it about you that makes you think, you know, this is why I'm like this? I think it's because I prioritize my own happiness a lot of the time um, and well-being, mental well-being. Mm. Um, and for a very long time, and this is something I realized ages ago, is the more you care about what other people are doing, the more upset you're going to be yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think my, the, f- the fact that I'm so detached and I, I honestly don't care about other, like obviously like my friends, like I will listen to their opinion, especially my family. I do care what they think, mm-hmm. but I think just in general, like the fact that, you know, I just think, does this affect me? No. Is it going to, um, am I going to let it ruin my day? No, mm-hmm. don't care. I think it's, it's the fact, it's the fact that like, I've gotten to a point, I'm not, I'm not even that old, I'm only 22, um, which I think a lot of people will reach when they're like in their 30s, when people don't care about other people's thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's what's about me. That's just led me to have that sort of approach is just accepting that it doesn't really, like, it doesn't really affect me. Other other people's thoughts don't really affect me. I think that's why, that's why I have the opinion that I have. Um, And that's just something I think people get with age and experience. And like you said, I do think that my upbringing has something to do with that just because I've, I think I've been exposed to a lot more experiences Mm. of failure of, you know, having to meet new people and having to deal with new cultures and, and I think just having all of those experiences early on has led me to then move quicker Quickly to through. that, yeah, yeah, to yeah. that, to that mental kind of um, ideology. Yeah, yeah, I totally vibe with that, to be honest. Um, and how, one way I like to illustrate it is, you know, offense is, you know, what comes from outside, like what someone tries to do with you, but offended is you're in control of that. Like someone can try to offend you. Like someone can do something that is offensive to you, but offended, the state of being offended, that's your decision to make. So I think a lot of people have given, <laughs> a lot of people have given that power to, to other people, right? So people are doing things to you and that's fine, but then you're then giving them the power to put you in that state of either being you know disappointed, being offended or whatnot. And sure, some things, right? It's they're intense, right? And you know, people will push you to that position. But I think, like, like you've said, having that perspective of you know how much you let people control your state of being, um, how much weight you put on other people's opinions of you, I would say even comes down to family, right? Because sometimes your family might, you know, be the ones that are the triggers for a lot of things as well. So it's how do you process all of that? And Wally, like you said, self-awareness is a word that has been abused a lot, but I think it does represent 
um, I guess what you need to have enough of to be able to see what's coming, filter it, and then decide a position to take in, in all of it. But yeah, um, and maybe it does have to do with how you're raised, but I also argue that sometimes it just has to deal with what you're exposed to because sometimes where you're raised or what you're raised as or the family and environment you're raised at, if we kind of like look down into the data, it shouldn't produce the kind of person it has produced, right? So it's more about what have you then chosen to expose yourself to? What books, ideologies, philosophies, what things are you taking, you know, awareness of as you go through life? And how are you interpreting that to pick like a worldview or perspective about things um, is is what I would say about it. You know, let's say like, if you you think about it and and this one, I'm probably going to ask it in a way that might cause chaos, but but I really want us to, (laughs) Try and answer it, please. You know, so obviously, like I grew up in Nigeria, so did Toby, and you grew up in Panama, right? And both countries are different, um, and we're all in different countries from the countries we grew up, right? And the key thing that Toby, and I think you mentioned it as well at the start, let's where you said, you know, the environment, but not just the environment, the economic environment of where you are also plays a factor. Now, you can be affluent in, an, in a country that is developing. You can be affluent in a country that is midway. You can be affluent in a country that is developed in quotes, right? But you're still in that country, mm. right? And one thing I've, I've tried to understand, which I probably I, I can read about it and find out, but I've noticed, and I cannot deny, I think, I think that would be me denying it, and people don't talk about it enough, which is fair, but there's definitely a difference between how we Africans handle conflicts and setback. And I mean, speaking generally, right, setback, than, than people from the more developed US, UK countries, mm. right? I'm not, I'm not trying to say this as a personal opinion. It's almost like a, a reinforced observation from my daily life, mm. right? and. And possibly, again, I didn't grow up in South America, so I, I can't make the observation. That's, that's lets you to jump in and do that now. But I think there's a difference in how we handle setbacks and conflicts and just issues and emotional issues. On and a fragility. national scale. National scale. And I think one word I, 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 I use, because it's not my word, that, but, but I brought in last season. I said it was a guy called Nassim Taleb. And he said, you know, that there's a concept called anti-fragility. Yeah. That um, objects that are exposed to stress that that get stronger are anti-fragile. Yeah. Right? Not resilience, but anti-fragile. So resilience is like, let's say, I don't know, thermoplastic. You have your phone, you throw it on the floor, it doesn't break. It's just fine, right? But glass is fragile, you throw it on the floor, it breaks. But yeah. what all objects do you expose to stress and get stronger? So example is your immune system. In some cases, yeah. Right. So you expose that to, to germs, it gets stronger. Yeah, obviously not like HIV, but <laughs> some, in, some, in, some, in some cases. Um, so I, my point is, I think some of us on a general scale, I think we are more anti-fragile. And my theory is, is that because our living conditions were fundamentally different? Is that because we grew up in more community-like places? I'm not sure. But I know... Not for a fact, because no, because I haven't seen data, but I know for a belief that we are more anti-fragile. Hmm. I would Why? agree. It's my question. 
Now, let's see from your, you grew up in South Africa. What is your thought on that? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and so I would say that just because I've had exposure, I, I was very um, fortunate to have the exposure both to a developing nation and a developed nation whilst I was growing up. So <laughs> I, um, I grew up primarily in Mexico and Panama, I would say, which, you know, you could argue that Mexico is, is in that middle kind of developed range. Panama, when I got there, very much a developing nation, and it still is. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love my home. It's a beautiful place. Mm. Um, but when we look at it from comparing it to like the US or the UK or Australia, it is, ve- it is very, Panama is very much a developing country. And I think there are two kind of primary reasons as to why I think people, like you say, are anti-fragile. Um, and from from a Central American perspective, I think the first one is we don't have a lot to begin with. So you got to work with what you've got. Yeah. Um, and I laugh because um, otherwise you cry. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, just um, no, it's because really when and I, just to give you a, a plain, simple example, mm. um, I play the violin. And when I was in Panama, I was very fortunate to be able to play with the National uh, Symphonic Youth Orchestra. Mm. Um, Damn, and- I don't know what that is, but that sounds <laughs> sounds big. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so I bring up this example because you there were people of every social class in that mm-hmm. orchestra, and yet we used to go to this school that was in one of the poorest neighborhoods in Panama Mm. with no electricity, no light, like no air conditioning and Mm. got basic funding for something that is supposed to be one of the biggest cultural features of the country. Mm. And people were just humble. They were thankful for what they had. Mm. And a lot of the things in more developed countries are taken for granted that you don't have in developing nations. So I think that's one of those things that because you didn't start out with a lot, it just makes, you're just grateful for everything that you get moving forward. Mm. Um, That would be like, or, or another example is for example, I always praise the fact that there are trains in the UK and the amount of times that people have said to me, Oh, but they're so, they're so shit. Mm. Or you know, like oh, they're always late. <laughs> I'm like, you have trains. Oh, oh. But then I look at them. I was like, do you even hear yourself? You have a train. You you can get to London. You can get to Edinburgh from mm-hmm. London in eight hours on a train. <laughs> like, do you yeah. do you even hear yourself? Mm. Um, and. And as a comparison, I didn't tell them like, okay, take your underground. How many how many lines are there in the London underground? Like, over, I think it's like sixteen or something mm-hmm. like that. It's like it's a big number. Mm-hmm. It's like there is one line in Panama mm-hmm. that I can't use because it does it's nowhere near my house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, do you see what I mean? It's just a, it's a different way, I guess, mm-hmm. of seeing things. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, I love my country. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't shame it. It's growing. It's developing. It's behind of everyone else. But I think that's one of the reasons why people are just anti-fragile is because they're just humble. Mm. You know, mm. they, they, they do with what they have. And I think the second reason 
and I guess this is this is an interesting one, and, and I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say. Is Central America and South America in general is very regressive, I would say. And I know that's a very generalized statement, and obviously mm-hmm. that can't be applied to all the countries. Some countries are more than others, but this is from my Brazilian experience and mm-hmm. Panamanian experiences. There are a lot of things like um, machismo. I don't know how to say that in English. Um, like it's a male-dominated society, yeah. very religiously centric. Mm. Um, and so, even though in developed nations that might be considered very regressive, very backwards, you know, to have a very male-dominated society, putting <clears throat> religion at the forefront, things that you don't see anymore in the UK or or you don't see as much, um, that can then build character. As much as it might not be the right character, you know, because obviously there are, you know, mm. obviously blatant right, like blatant um, human rights violations or, you know, you're, you're not seeing equality for women or, you know, equality for the LGBT plus community. Mm. You know, the fact that you have such strict societal ideologies still in these developing mm. nations Producing. can lead to people being anti-fragile because they're not they're not taught to be offended Mm. they just Mm -hmm. get on with it because Mm -hmm. that's what they're told to do yeah whether that's right or not that's a completely different question but i do think that is something that will definitely affect how someone grows up and how they perceive the world to be yeah and that would be my experience from panama and brazil that's that's very like amazing like just the, the way you you've laid it out and not to play the devil's advocates you know which is technically Wally's position in this in this conversation <laughs> but but I feel I feel that you know also in 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 regressive states which is honestly like you've described in in Central and South America it's almost what we have you know on the continent here in Africa I think it does produce two classes of people right either people that are very steeped in that regressive state and have just taken on the identity of the oppressed. And even when they leave that situation, they feel that that is normal. And so anything outside of that, even if it's better, is not normal, right? And they can actually come out and fight against it. That's a very like interesting output from, from regressive places as well. But I think also that same situation produces people that are like, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. And I'm going to do something about it. Where you know you have people that are now very vocal about about certain things. Um so yeah it's it's, it's quite an interesting dynamic. But yeah I just wanted to make the point that I think um although regressive states can produce anti-fragile people, I think it also produces a different kinds of kind of people that you know is very steeped in that perspective and doesn't want to change from it in in, in that sense um but yeah well if you wanted to ask something yeah yeah i think i think what i said was interesting and uh, and i love that you gave those examples in those very specific ways Mm. um, because you know it's i'm always a big fan of when an idea can be made into your experience and communicated that way Mm. you know because that's why i don't get into arguments about generalized statements right you have to you have to give me you have to you have to tell me how an idea reflects your own life right don't give me what what i can get from dictionary online right so i love that and and i think it's very important that you said um you know humility right because humility is a link to being anti-fragile because you are recognizing the suffering and the toughness and you're saying fair enough thank you right but i'll keep pushing Mm. right And I think, and that worry for me is, 
you know, I mean, I was talking about parents earlier, right? And parents contributing to this fragile, um, fragile people nowadays, but also the environment. But I think another worrying thing for me as well is, you know, this polarization and social bubbles, right? Because when when you don't feel safe physically, that that is important. You should feel safe. You should feel safe physically. You shouldn't feel like like you're going to be a target of hate crime. You shouldn't feel like you're going to be hit. That kind of safety should be everywhere, right? Should be should be hundred percent allowed. But when you don't feel safe based on what your ideas and beliefs are, in sense of Everywhere you go to, you want that place to be where you, what your idea is about something to be the norm there. I find that the most dis- distressful and the most unrealistic perspective people can have in the sense of, well, I want to go to, to a campus I, I want to go to work and I want to make sure that my group, my team, we're all, well, I'll say my ideologies about politics, about something, about something. I... <laughs> It is it it is weird. It's weird because you can't you can't you can't you can't you can't function in a world, and I think it's it's weird because it's it's happening so much. It's also weird because how can anybody expect to function in a world where everybody's like you? Mm. I think that is that that's borderline mental problems <laughs> because even twins even twins are different. Mm. Do you know, how do you expect somebody who grew up in so many different environments, so many things, to have the same ideas as you? And even if they do or don't, why should that be a relationship between how they feel and your own emotional states? Again, I stress, except it is a thing of physical safety. That is different. Mm. But your ideas should not be safe. Yo, in, in secondary school, right? We will spend time arguing about random stuff, whether football, whether politics, whether whatever it is, right? And you see boys arguing, shouting. But after we've done arguing, we're all welcome together, hmm. right? But when we're arguing, you, you think that we're about to kill ourselves because we're passionate. But at that point, we realize that, yeah, it's just... Maybe maybe we never realize it. Maybe we're still too young to understand what we're doing at that point. But what was impressed me was how after the argument, we'll go and eat together, walk home, or whatever together. Yeah. After doing a blockbuster Nollywood argue, um, um, argument. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, it's not possible. Yeah. I can't disagree with you about something letting now in, in a bar or in school about politics or something. And, and after that, we'll, we'll go out for lunch together. So I find that weird. Let's. What do you think? I mean, I think I I would agree with you in the sense that there's a lot of people who who wouldn't who wouldn't then go out for dinner after having a discussion. Mm. But I do think that depends on the person. Mm. And again, it comes back to how much do they care about your opinion. Mm. I feel like that, like even if, for example, even with friends, and I, and I do this all the time. Um, I've got a friend who we discuss politics and we are best friends. Mm. Um, and sometimes, yeah, it comes sour, but then we always remember that at the end of the day, it's just an opinion. You mm. know what I mean? 
So I do, I do think it depends on the person, and I think it depends on how much, how much do you care to win? Because mm. at the end of the day, like as much as you know what I mean, like as much as you might have an opinion on something, your opinion is probably not going to change <laughs> what's going <Yeah>. on. <laughs> let's let's be real, you know, like. Thank you, thank you very much for saying know, that. Thank you, you very much I mean? for like, saying that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's say, let's say we're debating. I don't know something very prominent that happened this year american elections mm. you know one person might be in favor of the republicans and one person might be in favor of the democrats really you just even if you people were debating it and you can't even vote <laughs> so what you know you know what i mean like yeah yeah does it really matter like are you really you know are you really gonna lose a friend are you really gonna exclude someone from a group because they don't have the same opinion as you Mm. especially if that opinion is not going to have no effect on what's mm. going on mm. like i think people need to realize how minute we are within society the sooner people realize that we're just moving pieces in a very big complex society the more they'll understand that you know it's not worth it it's yeah. not worth yeah you know fighting with your family because they i don't know they wanted to vote leave and you wanted to vote remain right you know yeah. it's important you can't have a difference in opinion that's normal we're human you know yeah. but is it it's the question of is it worth losing the relationship is it worth losing someone you care about for it yeah yeah you know what i mean yeah i agree with that and spot i think on. spot spot on yeah so so i was gonna say like i think what what also happens is the fact that i think we've lost the art or we've never really found the art of actually um arguing and i think arguing has mm. this negative mindset like oh this negative connotation when you say argue yo <laughs> so it's got you off so, yeah. so it's got you off, so it's got you off. what yeah. you just said now is so important because okay so as, as somebody who's not so, so i'm sorry cut you off again as, no, uh, no, but no. please <laughs> say this as someone in academia right we, so we tend to use the word argument a lot right mm. argument right mm. and arguments in academia pretty just just means what are you trying to say about the phenomenon that that that, that you're that you're trying to say your stance on mm. right mm. so like naturally i use that word a lot i say oh well um my, my argument is this and i found that <laughs> when, when i talk to people about it they, they think that okay i'm already about to start like a problem with them. i'm like no actually bro like yeah my argument is i don't mean like i have an issue with what you're saying mm. my point my stance <laughs> is just this like so argument is not always a negative thing it's a just like this yeah. this is what i'm trying to say so yeah, yeah continue. i just want to say that out loud exactly yeah, no no and it's true right it's just the how the evolution of words and the context in which they they are used but in the original sense of the word you're thinking about philosophers and you know saying this is what i believe in and this person coming in saying this is what i believe in and they argue it out you know asking questions probing questions trying to find out you know, why do you believe what you believe? I'm not trying to, you know, convince you that this is better. I'm just saying why I believe it's better. If at the end of the day, you leave that conversation and then go back and process and, you know, come back to ask questions of, okay, I'm trying to understand this better because I think maybe what I, the belief I'm holding is currently flawed, right? That's how people get convinced. But we have this thing that we feel like because in the moment the conversation is happening, you want the only end to that conversation is if the person says, yes, I agree with you. And, you know, mm. They're trying to make someone change. Like, let's just say, I don't change someone's belief of, they probably carried this belief for 20 years and you think, you actually think that it's one conversation you're going to have at the bar when people are probably like half drunk. Is that... Not even at the bar. Not yeah. even at the bar, bro. On, on, on Twitter. <laughs> on Twitter, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, you think that's what's good. Like, even if the person agrees with you at that point, 
they haven't still reached the point of understanding that you probably need them to get to. So I think people need to understand that when it comes to conversations and people's beliefs, even if it's something you don't agree with, it's a long process towards change, right? And if you as a person aren't committed to seeing that change happen and putting the work in, then you shouldn't even be having that first conversation. Just take what you see, you know, internalize it and maybe start to build your arguments for when you will have the time to really like do this whole long conversation. And I guess maybe the subject of the conversation also matters. Like, is the person arguing for, let, let's pick something very controversial, like death row, for example, right? You know, should death row be a thing? Um, now, someone who grew up in Nigeria and all of these things and only exposed to things in this part of the world will think, yeah, you know, sounds normal. Someone else in a more sort of like different kind of society will be like, nah, you shouldn't, that's not, that's a very inhumane way to do X, Y, Z. But again, like when you're going to argue about that, like, is there really one right or wrong answer? That's where you have to start from first. Like, is there a really right or wrong answer to start with? If there isn't, proceed, right? And then, you know, discuss. But if it's something where, you know, 90% or 99% of the world says, you know, this is what it is. And, you know, different classes of people, like not one, it's not like, you know, maybe ex- this kind of people with this same trait think it's right. <clears throat> people think it's wrong. It's like general consensus that this particular thing, you know, isn't right or isn't wrong. Then you can then discuss and then, you know, talk about things. But again, like I feel, you know, it goes back to the main point is really that we need to learn how to argue better, right? You know, we need to learn how to take people's perspectives in and not, you know, leave our emotions in the conversations as well. Like you don't need to be emotional in that sense. Yeah you know get someone to understand the point you're trying to make yeah 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 absolutely absolutely spot on and i i think you guys probably said it better than i would have probably said it you know let's talking about you know opinions are just being opinions but also how do they impact the grand scheme of things mm. you know and you and you're talking about you know understanding the fact that you know arguments are not just things that have to be negative but can create mutual understanding and should create mutual understanding or even if they don't, you should understand that you could leave here at, at that point and move on your lives. Mm-hmm. And that just naturally leads me to the thoughts and we'll, we'll get into the tougher times bit soon, but I, I want to ask one, one, one last we point of view time. from you both in, in the sense of, well, yes, we do. Um, 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 in the sense of self-entitlement. Now I see a link between that and being fragile, mm-hmm. right? And I think for some reason, people expect things to be delivered to them. When I hear the term, I've been filled by the system, <laughs> I get ambivalent feelings, right? So on one end, I agree. But on one end, I say, hmm, to what extent? Hmm. To what extent? Exhibit A, you're in Nigeria. If you're in Nigeria and you are looking for a job, you are driving home, you are trying to get something to the post office. And all of that is difficult because A, job market is terrible because of bad government policies. B, you get robbed, there's no good enough security. Mm-hmm. And C, there's no postal service. The system failed you, 100%. 100%. But, but there's, also, I, there's also an element where you dare say, hmm, to what extent has it failed me? Because even in that position, People have made it work. Hmm. So what what do we draw the line between system failed you or you're being entitled to some 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 level of, of, of expectation, but you should just get up and face reality. 
Now, Letty, from your perspective, to what extent do you think one can say that? And do you have any experience? Because you first said, you said earlier that, you know, going to Panama and Mexico, one can class them as mid-level developing countries, right? Mexico and Panama, respectively. Now, things, some things don't work out for you, right? As you said, for example, i.e. the train, right? Some things are not there in place. Hmm. But you, you, you keep going, right? You, you just keep going. And you have a point to say, yeah, the government or the system has failed. Right, either the government you're in, so either the government on the macro country level or the school you're in. But you also have a, a, a point where you get to where like people in that same position, people have the same upbringing, are pushing on. So I don't like, I'm trying to find what is the tension, what is the balance, what is the point where you can say, you know, okay, yeah, I've been failed by the system. What do you think? I think it very much depends on your socioeconomic background, if I'm being completely, completely honest here. Because I, I come from a very affluent background in Latin America. So I know that even though I was growing in a developing or middle developing country, that I did have a lot of opportunities that a lot of people didn't have. Um, so I do think that to some extent, um, and, and I'm just going to give you a prime example. Um, so during the coronavirus um, lockdown, Panama is under a very military lockdown right now. Um, really? and yeah, yeah, it's quite bad. And, and I could take a whole podcast talking about it. <laughs> um, no, honestly, it's, uh, it's quite bad. Um, but Panama decided to hop on the trend of online learning, you know, like the UK has, like the US have, and they just, you know, they said, well, all schools have to be online. Hmm. And I was like, okay, smart. I can, I can see why you're doing that. But then you have half of the children in Panama have no access to internet, have no access to technology, and now can't access education. Mm. That's when I draw the line. Mm. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's when it gets to a point where even though people want to push on, they are then faced now with an adversity that they haven't faced before, that other people haven't like pushed on, and mm. they can't because they do not have the resources to push on yeah because obviously the this the the other children who do have access to internet who do have access to technology they might have been disadvantaged because they now have to do school online Mm. but they still have access to education do you see what i mean yeah yeah so that's i think that's when i would draw the line in terms Mm. of you know your socioeconomic background i think does matter um, and, and it will and it will affect the opportunities that you have. Um, that doesn't mean that people can't be resilient because they can be uh, and they, they can pursue what, they, you know, they can have dreams, they can fight for them, they can, you know, go after what they want to do. Mm. But the opportunities that they were going to they're going to get are going to be a lot less than yeah. for someone who comes mm. from a more affluent background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I agree with that, that, you know the system's failing it's it has to do with certain context right and i think the example i was thinking about or the situation or instance i had in my head was you know is this the default situation for everyone if it is like are you comparing are you comparing yourself to like you said earlier a more developed nation or are you comparing yourself to the entire nation that you're in right so because it's very difficult to say if as a whole the entire developing nation if there's you know a general lack of education in the entire country 
right? And you're now saying the system has failed you. Yes, it sort of has, like, because maybe with the resources that the country has, it should be able to provide, you know, basic education for everyone. But I think when we start taking the conversation of system failure to very like particular things, things that are particular to a very small subset of people that are not necessarily targeted. It's not like we we looked at, you know, everyone together and said, okay, these particular people, we don't want them to reach a certain level of place. And so, you know, let's take Nigeria, for example, with the whole Biafra thing that, that, that went on a couple of years ago, very tricky example to use, but it's like when you target a particular social group, right, um, for no reason at all, just for the fact that they're different, um, yeah, then sure, the system probably has failed you in that sense, uh, particularly when everyone else that is kind of like you um, has the opportunity to, to, to do that. Uh, but I think once you take that conversation beyond the basic rights, like, you know, food, health, you know, education and things like that, and start pushing it to conveniences, because a lot of times in recent times, a lot of people or what people are saying the system has failed is some level of convenience, you know, in some way, shape and form. Um, I'm probably like pushing the limits here with how I'm describing this, but that's just generate a sense mm. that I think, which is why I agree with you, um, Letty. I think that's a good segue into the final point about tougher times, mm. because yeah, I will definitely agree that times are tough, right? And I know I, I know I did say earlier that the world is a better place in quotes in terms of safety, mm. but times are still tough if we're being honest, um, particularly obviously COVID. Mm. COVID is a good example because God knows what's going to happen in the next one or two years, right? Um, for every young person trying to get into the workforce, right? And we all know that the first job you get is very, very important to how your career is shaped in terms of, you know, trajectory. Mm-hmm. And people who go into jobs in 2009, some are still struggling today because of that crisis. Yeah. Um, obviously, different contexts, but America-wise anyway, for this for what I'm saying. So right now, yeah, it's funny because of COVID. COVID has happened and we're seeing different reactions, right? Now, COVID is a health reason, it's a health thing and an economic thing, mm. right? So quite interesting. On the health balance, young people, young adults, were probably safe. Relatively. Right? Probably relatively going by data. Yeah. They're all right. Yeah. All right. The older you got, you got the more at risk you were. Fair enough. On the economic side, those people were also the most at risk. Hmm. Probably at risk in terms of getting jobs. Because you can argue that most people already working, were already in the job. Some obviously some people got laid off. But if you if you got laid off, you already had an experience, a career already, you can probably get another job more likely than somebody who has no experience at all, right? I say that carefully, but in a very broad sense. Yeah. COVID has happened. I'm arguing that we're going to see, I, I think I said this on Instagram one day, I said, my fear for young adults, particularly people younger than I am, and probably in their early 20s, not early 20s, late teens and very early 20s, is probably more of late teens, is that, They've gone through an entire worldwide roller coaster in the sense that we don't know what the effects of this lockdown will have on them. Mm. Right. And, and I know people are like, yeah, you know, they were homeschooling, it's fine. It's not fine, mate. Because we don't know how they're going to react to such 
a one year of isolation and a one year of staying indoors with your family and a one year of not learning social skills to learn and a one year of falling behind. We don't know that. And for those who live in university, we don't know the extent to which a lot of them are going to find good, steady jobs. Right. So times are tougher in that sense. Um, I guess my point is, can we, what other, how do I ask this question? This thing began by trying to find the balance between how tough times are and how fragile we are, right? I think we've pretty much covered the fragility aspect. But out of toughness, do you think everything going on now is enough to shake the generation? Is the question, actually. Or do you think we'll pretty much be fine? Let's um, Okay, let it go first. <laughs> no, no, tell me. If you uh, want to okay. go, go ahead. <laughs> um, maybe what I was going to say is that I feel that each generation has the thing that tries to define it. Um, because, you know, as much as COVID and the whole pandemic and all of that is pretty intense, there were, there were also like world wars in certain places. Obviously, they had their they had their impacts, you know, maybe localized to certain places. Like it, Nigerians going through World War is different from where you know people were dropping bombs in certain countries. Like I know there's that different, but what I'm trying to say is that I feel that each generation, as each generation comes across, there's going to be they're going to be defining events. Sometimes your generation might have the bad luck of being hit by two or three, you know, in a very short space of time. Um, and I guess what I'm now the point I'm trying to make is that these things will always happen and you can't always predict the effect. Sometimes it's a relatively new thing, but I think as human beings, we've shown how we can adapt and we've shown how certain situations will produce a certain kind of people that would survive certain things and then would then need to readapt to new situations. Right. Um, and I think it's just that point of staying flexible with everything that happens, like, cause there isn't going to be one way to solve every kind of problem. People that went through the first depression, you know, in whatever times they went through <clears throat> some of the strategies that they learned to survive were things that then affected them later on when trying to change seasons. So the thing is that seasons will always change and big events will always happen that shape a generation. But how are you then able to navigate those things is what's important. So I can argue that times are- Mate, 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 mate. Sorry to cut you off. Uh Um, You've done this thing that that, that you always do when it comes to predictions. Which is? And I'm catching that again. Which is? And and, and I'm going to call you in your tracks right now on this and say- I, I get your point, and uh-huh. and and you are bringing it up in a very what when kind of analysis point of view. You're giving you're giving me the good descriptive bit, mm-hmm. but what I want to hear from you is specific to COVID, specific to teenagers who were growing up in this era, specific to people leaving school. Yeah, what do we think that's going to affect them? With do you think it's an overreaction for me to say that many people will get lost? And I know you, and I, and I agree with the fact that many generations have defining events. Absolutely. Mm. I cannot compare myself to somebody who was carrying guns in World War II. That mm. dude had balls. <laughs> I don't have that level of balls, right? Because I'm not in that state. Mm. But this is the only life I know. Yeah. And for many of them, many of the kids out there today, this is the only life they know, right? Mm. And many of them have been home for 16 months, probably not in good conditions, possibly, but also they've lost the the one year of growth they're meant to get through yeah. normal life. Yeah. Now, what I'm saying is, to what extent can we account for this event as a life-defining moment for them to the point where it's going to affect them negatively? Um, so that's what I'm asking you. 
Okay. Um, short answer, it, 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 it will have a negative impact. Um, but I think there's also that space for what it could cause on the positive side of things. And we don't really know what those could look like. But what I'm sure of, or what we can assume just based on, I guess, the state of things is that in terms of like mental health and in terms of how people socialize, because one of the things this lockdown has done is limits the amount of social interactions a person can have, which we've seen through time as you know something that holds us together as human beings. Because even when World War was going on, at least you could still be around people that were alive in that yeah, sense. Yeah. Now you're stuck in this very isolated you know, state of mind. And because I think if we didn't have technology, um, we would have probably approached the whole lockdown thing quite differently. But because technology exists and creates this illusion of connection, everybody feels that, mm-hmm. oh, we have, we have this technology now, so we don't, we don't need that physical interaction that much, so we can put ourselves in this isolation and still be fine. And it's weird coming from me because I'm one that would argue that, you know, I, I, I talk to my mom online, I talk to my sisters, so... I don't really need to be like, because if I'm there physically in two or three days, you know, you're done with the physical interactions and you want to move on. Right. And with a call, you know, you can do that consistently. Um, But essentially I think, yeah, the social part of things will have its like effect, you know, pretty mentally, just basically, I think, like you said earlier, for people that grew up um, in very like isolated social environments, it led to some kind of, you know, psychological things later on. And I think that is a huge risk that we're going to see with like everyone who's growing up in this period. So yeah, that's what, that's my answer. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, I think what, in terms of the socialization, I'm not going to touch on that because I do agree with you in terms of like, I do think that especially like teenagers are, are missing a crucial skill, <laughs> which I know even a lot of university students don't have is like the basics of even saying hello to someone. You know, that's something that you don't think about. So that's something you learn in school just by interacting with your peers. <laughs> um, but what I would say is I do think, especially those who graduated last year, whether that was high school whether that was university I do think that's something that's an emptiness that is probably going to forever be in their memories because Mm. they never got to celebrate such an important milestone in their life Mm. um and I don't know what I would do if I couldn't graduate like I would be devastated because the best memories I have from high school are from graduation and some people are never going to get that. And it's and it's it's sad, I think, to even because and, and obviously the university here at Loughborough, they've announced that they're going to do the 2020 graduation or they're planning on doing it this year, which, you know, I think is a fantastic effort from the university because every graduate deserves to to experience that. But those who won't, I just I just think that's something that they'll just. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to haunt them forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do think the other thing that is important to keep in mind is just in general, if we ever encounter another kind of like pandemic situation Mm. and we have to go into lockdown, my question to you guys is how many people are actually going to agree to go into lockdown in the first place? Mm. Because they will then might have memories from growing up and thinking that was terrible. (laughs) <laughs> you know like i i was locked up for you like no we're not gonna and what if we actually encounter a virus that's actually more, more serious yeah. than covid that is actually very very dangerous mm. how are you going to convince a bunch of people who were told 
when they were 13 years old that no, you can't go outside. No, mm. you can't see your friends. No, you can't see your family if you're not living together. No, you are going to be locked up for a year. How are you going to tell them? How are you going to convince them, you know, other than potentially with data, that yeah, this is more dangerous than COVID? Because apparently now COVID is like the worst thing in the world, mm. you know, that's ever mm. walked on this earth, forgetting all of the hundreds of plagues <laughs> that we've had in the past. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm just thinking ahead and thinking, well, if we have this again, how are you even going to convince this generation to, to go into lockdown? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it's, it's another perspective, another perspective as well to keep in mind. It's like, this is something that's going to be ingrained and rooted in them forever. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about what you just said is <laughs> the micro level acts of safetyism of fragility has fed into that macro level approach mm. to handling this thing. Mm. Everybody around me knows my stance and I've said it on, on the podcast as well. I've said when COVID began, I thought it was a plague. Five months later, I realized, mate, this is not the plague. Mm. Mm. Chill. Mm. And I pride again. I'm not. I'm not Aristotle. I'm not Plato. I'm an all right guy who tries to read about stuff. And I read about data and things, and I said, well, mate, this is not the plague. I had a sneeze meter. Um, I'm, I, I told you about this before. I had a sneeze meter on my door in March, saying that every time I sneeze, I'll mark it because I I want to know how I was doing. Mm. Paralyze, I'm not, this is not Ebola. Mm. This is not, this is not as bad as I thought it was. Yeah. And fair enough, you can argue that maybe because I'm young, I'm not anxious because I am this, that, that. Fair enough. But as you said, let's see, I went over facts and, and, and I figured out this is not the plague. Mm. So if in 40 years time, another one comes that is like this. We all have memories of this, right? Mm. So it's going, it's going to be a different feeling for those who are growing up now and, and we have another pandemic in 40 years. How are we going to approach that? Yeah. Right? And I think, you know, the point also is also that you also find people like me <laughs> who also ask for these safety measures. Mm. In quote, right? They say, you know, keep me shielded and shut everything down, you know. Of the, and that's fine. Everybody, again, has their opinions and stuff. But you can see how even me saying this, someone like me also can say the opposite thing. And what do I do? Yeah. I think, I, I think it's just the inter- interesting dynamic of living in a society. That's just what it is. Regardless of what the issue is, there's always going to be two sides of it. Like one side will naturally birth the other side. Like there's never going to be one society where every one thing and everybody agrees. And I think tension is good to have because it causes you to see the gaps in both sides. I think we've just not, we've, the internet has just made things more polarized and people have forgotten that where we're trying to get to is the center. Like the extremes are not good. No extreme is good, no matter how you try to paint it. It's understanding the context of situations and moving through the nuances to get to the center, regardless of what the subject of the matter is. So I think maybe, I, I don't know what, I guess me. I don't know how we're even going to get to the point where we can start coming back to the center because I don't know. No the, idea, mate. No idea. And <laughs> and that is what's scary. Like yeah. I don't see a pattern. I don't see a philosophy that yeah, can. Whatever. I don't see anyone who. I don't see anything. Yeah. <laughs> don't. We'll, so we'll give it time. I think we'll give it time, hopefully we'll, we'll give it time and hope that everyone will have some level of spiritual slash philosophical slash. 
ice buckets awakening. <laughs> awakening. And where we go, holy freaking shit, you know, let us chill. Mm. Hopefully that happens. But mm. as I always say on the podcast, let's see, and I, and I think you kind of subscribe to this as well. I can only control everything around me. Mm. My opinion, if it doesn't, my opinion does not affect the US capital. I'm not going to spend five hours on that mm. with my time. So I think you're spot on that. And it's about recognizing what things, what battles worth fighting, what battles not worth fighting and hopefully we become more anti-fragile and hopefully we don't need to be anti-fragile at the same time hopefully mm-hmm. we don't get on the tough side of life too much um but this has been great letty um before we go just want to tell us about yourself what you do future hopes ambitions <laughs> i mean i already know you played the violin which is cool um um i mean I don't know what to tell you. I mean, future, future's ambitions. That's very, that's very muddy right now. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, although I do know that I have a master's uh, lined up for international business here at Loughborough, mm. uh, which is, you know, some sort of direction. Um, and then I hope to get into marketing and social media, your biggest enemy. Um, <laughs> so um yeah i might be going down that direction i'm not really sure yet we'll we'll see what that brings but i did want to leave you with a quote which is something that i live by mm. um and this is something that my mom taught me from a very young age and mm. i was thinking about it here because you, you were like so but how do you how do you how are you so chill with all like the opinions and and things like that and that's because my mom taught me when i was very young that and she used to say what would happen to blue if everybody liked green hmm and that is just something I just kind of live by. Uh, and that's just... <laughs> what is that face? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, In, that's just mind. Like, it's it's so simple, but it just... <laughs> like, it's so simple. Yeah. Like, and, and that was something she taught me when I was, like, mm. six. Because as a child, what I used to be... What happened to blue if everybody liked green? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mad. Mad, I know, mad. right? It's such a simple concept. And it's simple enough that I was taught that as a child. Mm. Because as a child, I didn't care about people's opinion. I was like six and I, I cared about people's opinion and I wanted to make myself heard. And then she, one day she just told me like, what would happen to green if everybody liked blue? And just, and I pretty much lived my life <laughs> on that. Like I, I just picture that <laughs> scene happening to six year old. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of 20s Combos. If you enjoyed the podcast, the easiest way to help out is to leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe as well. Also, if you think a friend needs to hear this, go ahead and share it with them. They'll be glad that you did. Trust me. All right, we release new episodes every Monday. But before then, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at 20s Combos. We post quotes, polls, and other interesting content and clips from each episode every week. So go ahead and follow us now. Till next time, take care and stay safe.